Our scripture reading for today's meditation is the Old Testament reading. You see it on the screen. It's on the back of your worship folder as well. I'm going to read it from the back of the worship folder. The words are from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, chapter 43, these seven verses. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba, in exchange for you. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you, I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. So far the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Lord, now we pray that the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be found acceptable in your sight, for you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. There's a uh, couple of television channels that show old retro kinds of shows. Uh, I like to go back every once in a while. The other day, my wife said, what are you watching? And I said, the Lone Ranger. I mean, that's really kind of good stuff. It's kind of funny. Uh, every once in a while I go back and watch an old Dick Van Dyke show. Uh, but some, I like uh, radio classics on my uh, satellite radio, so I listen to old shows of Dragnet on the radio or Fibber McGee and Molly, some of you are that are my age. But I stumbled across the channel, I don't know, three or four months ago, and I thought, is this guy still alive? And then I realized they were just rerunning some shows. I don't know, do you recognize this guy? Uh, It's an old show called The Joy of Painting with Bob Ross. That's what that guy's name was. It ran on PBS back in the 1980s and 90s and was quite popular. In fact, it was so popular that just this last year, one of these kind of offbeat cable stations began rebroadcasting the entire series. And literally millions of people uh, have tuned in again to watch the program for many of them. Who knows the second or third time? Now, I've never uh, painted much other than the walls of uh, rooms and uh, painted one house one time. But I I used to kind of like to watch it. And if I could remember when it was, I'm not going to tape it or anything. But it it was kind of fascinating to watch that to see how Bob could start with just a blank canvas. And less than 30 minutes later, he would have this, quote, beautiful masterpiece. Now, I'd say in quotes, beautiful masterpiece, because everybody knows he was not a Picasso, he is not a Rembrandt, uh, but he was able to create paintings of the world uh, where everybody would want to live. I mean, who wouldn't want to live, you know, by a lake up in the mountains someplace? And, and that, in my book, really kind of qualifies, at least to some extent, as a masterpiece. Now, Bob was the textbook definition of what I call laid back. And, and, uh, and I especially like the way that he dealt with mistakes when he painted. 
He had a favorite saying, and the favorite saying was, there are no mistakes, only happy accidents. <clears throat> In other words, if you accidentally uh, splatter a big splotch of orange paint around the middle of a mountain scene like that, he would say, oh, don't throw away the canvas. Instead, he would show you how to incorporate that happy accident into your painting to work around and keep on working on your masterpiece. Now, what's that got to do with our message? Well, simply this. In the same way as you live, as I live, even with Holy Spirit power uh, to make your life a masterpiece, you're going to experience from time to time what I would call splotches in many accidents, although I would want to call them happy accidents. Uh, they might not be the term you'd be inclined to use, but there are times in your life when things happen that you don't want to happen. Uh, there are times when you have a relationship that just totally unravels, or you face a health crisis, or you've got a problem within your family, or you run into financial troubles or problems at work. Uh, there are going to be times when things just do not go, they don't go as you plan them, and instead something else totally unplanned, and maybe somebody else is involved and plans them for you. Now, it may be your own mistake. It may be due to circumstances beyond your control. But there will be times when there are big splotches on your canvas of life that you never, ever intended to be there. Now, what happens when that happens? What should you do? I mean, do you just throw the canvas away? Do you just give up? Or do you forget ever about having a good life or a happy life or whatever? Now, it may sound tempting sometimes. You just take the thing and just smack it over your knee and throw it in the trash. That seems like the only logical option. But I want to suggest to you that there is a better way, and it's the way that God designed for us. I mean, first of all, let's be honest. What, what did God do, first of all, with your, your biggest splotch of all, which is called sin? He sent Jesus into this world to cover that splotch with the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. He's already wiped out the biggest thing. He wants to make you a masterpiece. So you've got to kind of learn to incorporate the little splotches of sin and stuff like that into the canvas of your life. And I want to suggest to you that it all comes down to one single little word, and the word is attitude. So I'm going to talk a little bit about your attitude, how it contributes, just about more than anything else, in the masterpiece quality of your life as you live a life as a Christ follower. Now, uh, I know all about attitudes. Uh, I've got one. I've experienced them. Uh, when I was a high school teacher, a high school basketball coach, we actually had an entire class in our school decide to come up with something they called ABA, which stood for All Bad Attitude. And they did about everything they could do to exhibit that all-bad attitude in everything they did. You know, your, your attitude is, is a really powerful weapon. Uh, there are going to be times when it's the only resource you have. Uh, but even then, when all you've got left is the attitude that you choose to adopt, good, bad, or ugly, you're going to find that the right attitude is, is maybe enough to get you through anything that life sends you. Uh, and so many times when there is this splotch on the canvas of your life, we can't get past it because we, we kind of remember what that splotch means. We think, well, I'm, I'm a terrible painter. I'll never be a good painter. I'll never finish this painting. The mess can never be made right. I might as well give up. Maybe you've said that about your life at different times. You know, what I've just experienced is too much. Can't take it. Can't stand it. Don't know what to do with it. I might as well just give up, bail out, whatever. 
And I understand because I felt that way from time to time. I remember the one time that I almost resigned as a pastor. Things were going so bad, so difficult, that I thought, I don't even know why I'm doing this. I might as well just give up and go do something else like be a greeter at Walmart. You know, welcome, here's your cart, and I'll get your stuff and go home. <laughs> That's probably why they wouldn't hire me at Walmart. Uh, I've had a few what the, what's the use moments in my life. Uh, and in those moments, the one thing that ultimately made the decision for me was the decision to choose what my attitude would be toward that situation that had splattered the canvas of my life. Just today, the one time I thought about resigning as a pastor, I turned around, looked at my Bible. My Bible was open to Joshua chapter 1, and I'd underlined, be bold and courageous, you know, hang in there. And it was kind of like, yeah, you, you need an attitude adjustment. Now, I think we've all been in situations where things have gone wrong. We're really not sure what we should do next. We've been in situations which things have gone wrong, and that sometimes it appears that there's absolutely nothing you can do. Now, in those moments, I want to suggest that the very first step towards recovery, just getting a handle on your attitude, getting the right perspective about who you are and who God is and what God can mean to the situation that you are in. See, the wrong attitude means that your only way of dealing with that splotch is to give up. If it's just you, you're going to want to quit trying or just stop painting altogether. Uh, the wrong attitude means that you just leave the splotch where it is. You never do anything about it until it becomes the centerpiece of your life's canvas. And everybody who looks at it, it defines who you are. But then just think if you have a, the mind of Christ, the right attitude. You see the splotch for what it is. It's an accident. It's happy or not may have been caused by your own lack of skill or by circumstances beyond your control, but it can still be incorporated into your life. Now, that's where we get into Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 43. In Isaiah 43, we discover three really important promises that we as Christ followers need to remember to help maintain our perspective. Uh, you know, when you don't know what to do, that's why I called this message, what do you do <laughs> When you don't know what to do, you know, this is what you need to incorporate when it seems that there's nothing you can do or when you want to begin, but you have no idea where to begin or you want to go on, but you don't know how you can go on. Now, these three promises of God and understand these are promises. And, and I've taught for many years that whenever there's a promise of God, there's also a premise. And that premise typically is obedience to the word of God. They are not platitudes that are trying to make yourself feel. These are promises that you just say, with God's help, by the, the presence of the Spirit in my life, I decide regardless of how I feel, regardless of what the circumstances may be telling me, I choose to believe this because this is God's Word. So here in Isaiah 43, and the very first promise is this, you belong to God. Now, you remember those first two verses I read to you from Isaiah 43, 1 and 2? It tells us four things about how God views his relationship with you. It says, I am the God who created you. you know, none of you are here by mistake. Now, your parents might have thought you were a mistake, but you are not a mistake when it comes to God's feeling. It was God who formed you. That's what uh, Psalm 139 says, you know, you, I, I knit you together in your mother's womb. God is the one who assembled you in all of your parts. You are who you are today because he did it. 
It was God who redeemed you when you had no way out of this world. It was God who sent his son into this world to pay a price that you could not pay. It was God who calls you by name. Now, your parents may have given you a name, whether you like it or not, but God's already called you by name before you were born. He knows you as the son of God, the daughter of God, uh, the brother or sister of Christ. In other words, you belong to him. Then in verse 2, God speaks directly through Isaiah and says, and by the way, you're mine. That's what it said. You belong to God. That's why I think about baptism. And I've done this every once in a while, that when people have brought small children to baptism, and after we baptize them, and I've held them, and I, I walk up to these parents and I say, you know, when you came in here today, you thought this was your child, didn't you? And they all go, yeah, we hope they didn't make a mistake at the hospital. No, this is your child, okay? You thought it was yours, but it's not. It is now God's child, and this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you back God's child to raise for him. Would that change the way you think about your children? If you realize that your children really belong to God, and God's given them to you to raise on his behalf? Wow. See, Jesus came into this world and died on the cross for your sins. The Bible teaches that it was through his death your, you were bought and you were paid for. That's in Acts 20, 28. You can find it in Revelation 5, 9 too. You belong to God. He takes it seriously. He gave his son so that you could do whatever he decides to do. So don't ever, ever make the mistake of thinking that God's commitment to you is only as strong as your commitment to him. I'm going to say that again, because I've wrestled with that from time to time. Do not make the mistake of thinking that God's commitment to you is only as strong as your commitment to him. All of us are kind of weak on our commitment to a whole lot of things. Sometimes even to our commitment to God. We kind of bail out on him from time to time. God never does that to us. You may fail from time to time. Actually, I shouldn't have said it that way. Let me rephrase it. You will fail from time to time. You will sometimes have a hard time keeping your promises. Some days your heart is going to be lukewarm or cold. Your faith is going to be weak. But God does not change his mind about you as often as you change your mind about him. But he never changes his mind about you at all. You belong to him. That will never change. Those of you that live in Texas for a long time probably also were aware that every year, there is a football game played between Texas and Oklahoma. They played at the Cotton Bowl in Dallas. Thousands of fans from Oklahoma, probably Arkansas, Texas, all gathered at the Cotton Bowl in Dallas to witness the clash between these two arch rivals, the Red River rivalry. Sometimes the battle actually extends beyond the field. Several years ago, there was a scuffle that broke out in the stands, and a handful of men were arrested taken downtown, tossed in the slammer, and required to pay $250 in bail. One man did not have bail money at all. All he had was his Neiman Marcus credit card. The judge said you can't pay bail with a Neiman Marcus card. You're spending the weekend in jail. Now, when the man was allowed to make his one call, he called the local Neiman Marcus store in Dallas. And he said, is there anything you can do for me? And his request over a period of time made its way up the company ladder until finally one of the vice presidents said, this man is one of our customers. 
We'll help him out. They paid his bail and charged it to his account. Now, I don't know about you. I can't afford to shop at Neiman Marcus. Uh, but this story makes me kind of want to shop there because uh, there's some loyalty that this retailer had to a customer. But I want you to know that God's loyalty to you is even greater than that of Neiman Marcus. You belong to him. I mean, when things get splotchy in your life, he doesn't turn his back on you. His commitment to you is infinitely greater than your commitment to him could ever be. So if your life sometimes seems like less of a masterpiece at this moment, just remind yourself over and over and over again, as many times as it takes, you belong to God or I belong to God. That's a great mantra. Put that on a little post-it pad, stick it on your refrigerator, put it on your uh, mirror in the morning when you get there and you stare in there with that, that morning face that you guys have. I belong to God. You're going to go, really? <laughs> okay, I'll take his word. He created you. He formed you. He redeemed you. And he called you by name. Here's the second thing about it. God will protect you every step of the way. Back in uh, August of 1955, over a period of just a few days, almost a foot of rain was dumped in Putnam, Connecticut. Uh, near Putnam, uh, Connecticut, is the Quinnebog River, uh, which contained at that time an old earth and an old stone dam. Uh, the rain was too much for the dams, and one by one they burst, causing tons of water uh, to come crashing through the towns at speeds of 25 to 50 miles an hour. Uh, bridges and roads were destroyed along with one-fourth of all the town's businesses and homes. And at one point, the water poured into a warehouse stocked with barrels of magnesium. Anybody know what happens to magnesium when it comes in contact with water? It burns. It ignites. The fire department, the rest of the town, watched helplessly as these barrels exploded, shooting flames, they said, 200 feet in the air. Uh, fire bombs landed on near, nearby buildings, causing the, bre- the blaze to spread throughout the town. This was truly a disaster. The cost of the damage, even back in the 50s, ran into the tens of millions of dollars. It took years for this town to rebuild. But in spite of all of that damage to this tiny little New England town, Putnam was consumed with fire and flood, yet everyone was saved. Now, do you remember something along those lines in the scripture reading today? Verses 2 and 5. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. In verse 5, and when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Do not be afraid. Why? Because I am with you. Now, Isaiah does not promise that you will be saved from fire and flood. He promises that you will be saved or protected in the midst of it. He's saying, you're going to face some circumstances beyond your control, but God will get you through them. See, some people interpret the fire and the flood as evidence that God has somehow abandoned them. Friends, don't believe that nonsense. Fire and flood are only evidence that you're just like everyone else in this world. Jesus said in in Matthew 5, verse 45, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Now, 
I believe every, Bible, every verse in the Bible is true, but for a lot of years I tried to put my faith on the idea that this one Bible verse uh, didn't really, well, that it wasn't completely true. I, I wanted to believe that it actually, the rain fell on bad people and just sprinkles occasionally on good old boys like me. In fact, I, I remember uh, walking across the grocery parking lot one time when it kind of started to rain. I could smell the rain. I could hear the rain coming down. I could see people ducking their heads, pulling their jackets up. I could see the raindrops kind of splashing on the ground of the parking lot. Uh, the, the pavement was wet. And I was staying there. There was rain all around me, but not on me. I was bone dry. And I found this completely fascinating to me. Watching everybody else get rained on, but somehow the rain had passed me by. I decided to stand there and see how long that would last. Well, uh, probably less than 15 seconds. Uh, the rain quickly moved my way. I was just about as wet and ran like everybody else. You know why? It's because the rain falls on all of us. The good, the bad, the ugly. All that is to say we all have setbacks in life. My setbacks are different from your setbacks. Your, your setbacks are different from everybody else. We all got them. When it happens, we need to remember that God is not the source of those problems. He's the solution to your problems. He didn't create the misery in your life, but he will help you through it. Perhaps some of you uh, know uh, Viktor Frankl. He was a German psychiatrist who spent uh, World War II as a prisoner in the Nazi concentration camp. His wife and many of his relatives died while he was in there. Years later, he wrote a book called A Man's Search for Meaning. And he tells a story about uh, his six-year-old daughter who once asked him why he always referred to God as, quote, the good Lord. You ever use that? You know, the good Lord is looking out after me. Well, he said, well, why do you always call him that? And he said it's because he is good to us. Remember when you had measles a few weeks ago? He helped you get over them. And his daughter said, yes, but Daddy, don't forget he was the one who gave you the measles in the first place. Now, that's a child's perspective of problems. And if we're honest, it's also our perspective sometimes, too. Sometimes instead of seeing God as the one who delivers us from our problems, we can't get past the idea that it was somehow God who dumped all the trouble on us in the first place. Now, that kind of thinking which I should probably just call what it is, stinking thinking, will never work in your favor. It will never, ever help your life get better. Now, if you're not going to be better, guess what you are? You're bitter. If you tell yourself that God is the source of all of your troubles, then you can go through life being the ultimate victim. I mean, after all, who can, who can win against God? Like that play or that song, your arms are too short to box with God. You'll never win. But on the other hand, if you choose to believe the promises of God and choose to understand that God does not create the crisis but helps you conquer the crisis, then life's most difficult problems can be seen with a new perspective. Now, I've lived long enough to discover a few things. Uh, there have been many, well, there have been, there's, there's been a few times in my life that the splotch of my canvas and in fact, there are very few times I should say that the splotches on my canvas could not be traced back to a really bad decision on my part. 
If you're on Facebook at all, maybe you've seen this recently. Somebody on Facebook posted this. Everything happens for a reason, but sometimes the reason is that you are stupid and make bad decisions. Now, I'm not saying that applies to you. I hope you're not offended. But I am saying that it certainly has applied to me once or twice. The reason it happens is because I'm stupid and I did something wrong. And just maybe it could possibly also apply to you as well. And yet what I have seen again and again is in spite of my own, you're going to use that word, stupid decision, God has helped me through that crisis. He doesn't bring on the problems we face, but he will, if you're willing, help you overcome each and every situation. So what I'm saying is instead of seeing God as the source of your problems, instead of blaming him or blaming everyone else in this world, for letting them happen. Look to him for strength to overcome each challenge you face. Now, here's just the third promise we see in here. Nothing can prevent you from reaching your potential. Here's a good question. Why are you here? Now, I'm not asking you why you're here at St. Mark's. Now, some of you could say because you got drugged here, uh, had nothing else to do on a Sunday morning or whatever, you get paid or whatever. All kinds of reasons. Same question I asked on Christmas Eve. Why are you here? Maybe a better way to ask this is, do you know why God created you? In verse 7 of our text, it tells us that everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for what? My glory. There's your potential. Right there. Why were you created? To glorify God. For people to look at your life and say, wow, God is amazing. And if God can do that for him or her, what could God possibly do in my life? I think sometimes we set our sights too low. We see our potential in terms of income and accumulation and career advancement. We work for the promotion, the recognition, a little money, a little comfort. When God has really so much more in store for us. And we talked about this whole Powerball thing this morning in Bible class. Over a billion dollars. I could care less. I, I just want to give God glory. And, and just let God do for me what God has already chosen from time and eternity to do. Uh, what can God do with my life? Not instead, what can God do for my life? Uh, see, we see ourselves with the wrong kind of idea. God's plan is that you live the kind of life that shines a positive light on Jesus for the entire world to see. Let me tell you about a guy by the name of Dennis Bird. Uh, I love football, professional football. The playoffs are going now. Dennis Bird was a guy that had great potential. Uh, he was a defensive end for the New York Jets, if you can picture, figure that out there. Uh, he was an up-and-coming superstar predicted to help turn the Jets organization around. But then tragedy struck. Uh, November 29, 1992, as the Jets were playing the Kansas City Chiefs, Dennis was about to sack the quarterback when he collided with a teammate and his spinal cord was snapped. In a split second, his entire football career ended. He was paralyzed from the neck down. All of his hopes, all of his dreams came to a screeching halt. Now, later, he wrote about waking up in the middle of the night after this, in a halo brace, not knowing where he was, not knowing why he couldn't move, not knowing what was happening, 
And in an instant, he realized that his dreams of making it to the Pro Bowl or eventually becoming a Hall of Fame football player or the ability to hold his newborn little daughter in his arms again would probably never happen. He was, according to all the doctors who were there, uh, paralyzed for life. And from the world's perspective, Dennis was no longer able to reach his potential. But in God's eyes, this man was capable of more than just sacking quarterbacks for a living. In God's eyes, Dennis said, God's given me something where I can give glory to him. And Dennis has done this in a tremendous way. The world has watched and listened uh, as he told the media that day that Jesus was going to be his source of comfort in this tragedy. The doctors announced publicly that he would never, ever walk again, that it would be, and it would be years before they'd even know whether there was even hope. But Dennis announced that with God's help, he would walk soon. And on opening day of the 1993 football season, less than a year after the collision, millions of people, and I, I remember watching this myself, uh, Dennis Bird walked out to the middle of Meadowland Stadium where 75,000 people stood cheering. And it was without probably one of the highlights of the New York Jets season. Now, that's been more than 20 years ago. Today, Dennis continues to inspire people. Uh, he's able to walk, although with a little bit of difficulty. He's coached high school football. And he spends most of his time traveling around the country telling his story. And in a recent interview, this is what he wrote. He said, as a 49-year-old man, I don't know how you could really ask for what I have to be happy in all aspects of your life and still feel that it's on the upspring. What a blessing God has been in my life. Now, friends, the, the miracle in Dennis Bird's life is, is not that he broke his neck and he walked again. The miracle is that this injury that destroyed his career did not destroy his life. God protected him through the fire and the flood. Now, a financial setback may prevent you from ever becoming rich. An illness may prevent you from doing the work you love. Uh, a tragedy may prevent you from reaching whatever goals you set. Uh, but nothing can prevent you from reaching the potential that God has in mind for you. So you and I were made to give glory to God, which means simply that your life can demonstrate to the world how great God is. See, that's the difference between the ways that a non-believer and a believer face tragedy. I've done, if you did more than one funeral in your life as a pastor, that's too many. I've done plenty of funerals in my life. And doing funerals where the person who died had been an unbeliever and the families was only marginal, and you watch that, Non-believers are sidelined. Their hopes are dashed. I mean, life is gone. Life is ruined. Everything they love is gone. The, the, the purpose of life seems to dwindle to nothing. But yet I've done funerals of believers who, did they cry? Yes. But we don't weep like Paul says, as if we lost everything. We, we weep tears of joy knowing that our brother and sister has gone on to heaven. See, it's your attitude in the process. No matter what happens, you can still give glory to God. And that's what makes your life a masterpiece. Now, I mentioned Viktor Frankl before, the psychiatrist who lost his wife, uh, his unborn child, um, his parents during World War II. Uh, but in his book, which is called, again, A Man's Search for Meaning, he said, 
Everything can be taken from a man but one thing. The last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way guided by his Lord. Now, friends, there are circumstances you can't control. Uh, but you're always able to control what matters most of all, and that's your attitude towards whatever it is you face. Uh, when you get knocked down, your attitude determines how long you're going to stay down and how soon you're going to get back up again. It determines whether you allow yourself to be get better or just stay bitter, or whether you're going to always feel challenged or whether you're going to rise up and be more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. If your life is anything like mine, and probably is because I am human too, your life is full of accidents. Some happy, some not so happy. Every canvas of life, I mean, if we all put our canvas of life up here for display, every last one of them would have splotches all over it, some bigger, some smaller. The question is, how do you respond? Well, I want to suggest to you that when life goes wrong, your first response needs to be to take control of the one thing you can always control, that's your attitude. That's your God attitude. That's the, it's where you begin when you don't know where to begin. You take hold of it. Make it what it needs to be so that intent, instead of being tempted to give up, you're determined to go on. See, all of these are promises that God has given us to, to us in his word. When you remember that you belong to God, that he's with you every step of the way, and that no set of circumstances could ever possibly prevent you from fully fulfilling your potential in him, which is to give glory to God. When you remember those promises, your perspective changes and your attitude moves to where it needs to be. See, friends, a masterpiece of life, which is what God is designing for you, is not a life without splotches on the canvas. It's a life in which the canvas owner, that's you, has the courage to believe that God can overcome each setback, each mistake, and give you courage to carry on. Let's pray. Father, thank you for creating us. We thank you just to know that we belong to you. We thank you that we can know that you're with us every step of the way. Even, even as David, the psalmist, said, when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with us. Your rod and your staff, they direct us. And we know that no circumstances can ever prevent us from doing what you've created us to do, and that is to give glory to you. And we give you glory in the name of Jesus. Amen.